3: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
3: This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I'm your host, Jen Kirkman. Today I'm talking to my friend, Judy Gold. Judy Gold is a hilarious comedian. She's an actress. I'll get into all of that in a moment. Now, as you know, this is a podcast about anxiety hosted by a comedian, but I I don't mean it to be a comedy podcast. I certainly didn't want it to be. I interview comedians with anxiety. But I have had a few on this season. Judy will be the final comedian in my Three comedian series. I talked to my friend Andy kendler and Chelsea Handler as well. But I've known Judy a long time, and you know, it's I just it wasn't until maybe a few years ago when we talked about it, or she, I, I don't remember. I mean, maybe not just a few years ago, but within the last ten years, where I realized she had anxiety and depression, and it's I don't know why I didn't think that because. I'm not saying every comedian has that, but I've, again, known her for a long time. And I'm sure she talks about her anxiety on stage. She's just such a big presence in that she's, and I mean this in the best of ways, she's loud and she's funny and she's confident, or at least she's doing a damn good job pretending to be confident. But I've watched her work as a stand-up since I moved to New York and was this shaky little thing, trying to act like I was confident. And, and I really looked up to Judy. And I know if she were listening to this, she's going to be like, you're making me sound old. But Judy was always very kind to me. And, you know, I'm honestly like a lot of times people with anxiety or depression, they're, they're not always just kind to people, you know, you're just, a lot of times you're in your own head, or you're self medicating with alcohol or something, and then that changes your behavior, or you're really withdrawn and shy, or you're, depressed and sort of just over it. And, and I never experienced that with her. So it's not like I was shocked when I found out she had depression and anxiety. I just went, oh, oh, that's right. Yet another reminder that you never can tell. You can't judge it by someone who doesn't seem freaked out to be on a stage. I mean, that, that's a job. You know, I'm not freaked out to be on stage, but I, I, I don't necessarily like, uh, I don't know, driving over a bridge to get there. Anyway, every once in a while, I like to do an episode where it's conversational, where you know we're not talking to a neuroscientist or a therapist or someone who can explain why everything comes together and forms anxiety, but rather more of an experiential thing. You know, someone who's saying, "Oh well, I grew up this way, and I didn't realize until later that this was that, and that was this, and that affects this." And you know, there's this uh, thing I think that happens when when you talk to a lot of smart people. If you're listening and you're thinking, oh, okay, I guess, God, if I had known this sooner, then maybe I could have started to get better quicker. And I just don't think it totally works that way. I think You just have to live your life, live your experiences, and sort of slowly go through life and try and fail at different things, whether it's so, uh, some kind of social life, work life, and then start to realize what your pathology is or what your habits are and realize, are these mine? Are these maladaptive things that I learned from my parents? Okay, now I have to trade them in for some new tools. I do think that knowledge is power, but knowledge is not everything. You just kind of have to live and see and experience. And so Judy and I are all over the place. You know, we we both have ADHD. And as Judy says, she says, ADD, D, 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 D. Like, we're all over the place. We're talking everything from, you know, the generational trauma she experienced to when she came out of the closet and, you know, what society was like back then. Oh my God, she's so old. Did I mention it? What society was like, how how different, you know, it is now, what it's like being a mom, what it's like being someone who had a very anxious mom who never got treated for anxiety. How do you break the cycle? Do you break the cycle? And then what does she do now um, to kind of keep the maladaptive behaviors at bay? What what does she do to self-soothe? And you're going to not be surprised that it's the thing that everybody says that we need to do, which is connection with others, breathing, meditating. I mean, I hate to say it. I could do a hundred more of these episodes and we're just going to keep coming back to those basics, right? But it was really fun to talk to Judy, and I think she's a great example of just keep walking through whatever you're going through. You're going to come out the other side stronger and smarter, and if you can be as funny as Judy while you're doing it, then you've really you've really won the, the mental health battle. So without further ado, I hope you just have a fun time listening to uh, me talk with Judy. And we talk about bullying, which is something that I haven't really talked about on this podcast before. There is an upcoming episode where I get into um, bullying a little bit deeper, talking to a therapist and author about, you know, why, why does it stay with us when we know we don't actually, you know, we don't actually absorb the opinions of bullies that were mean to us as kids. I mean, maybe we did as a kid, but as an adult, we, we know better. We don't care. We might even see these people on Facebook you know, they seem to have forgotten the whole thing. And uh, so what, what does that mean? It stays with us. So that I'll be talking about that in a future episode. But for now, it's Judy and I kind of talking about how bullying shaped us in a way where there's this anxiety that comes from not being able to control others in that sense of how, how do you get to act like this? And and like, no one's going to do anything about this. And, and then just even growing up and seeing these people, like I said earlier, on Facebook and going, so you just get to have bullied someone your whole life and then that's it. I mean, not even an apology would do. It's like you almost want these people to like have to sit down to their family and go, OK, when I was younger, I did this. I just Judy and I realized that one thing we have in common that came from being anxious people and people who maybe felt misunderstood or picked on, was the sense of justice. I think I talked about it with my other friend, Andy Kindler. Maybe this somehow goes hand in hand with being a comedian. I'm not sure. But we just want to make things right that aren't in our lives and in the world. And when we can't, it's like we don't accept that we can't control the bigger things in life. You know, it's so endlessly frustrating. So people like us, And if you're like us, you really need to find ways to self-soothe and, of course, laugh. So, again, so excited to have Judy on this show. And I will stop talking so that you can go listen to her. But let me just tell you a little more. About Judy Gold. She's a stand-up comedian, obviously, as I said. She starred in a uh, critically acclaimed one-woman hit off-Broadway shows. She's the author of Yes, I Can Say That When They Come for the Comedians We're All in Trouble. It's a great book she wrote years and years ago um, that sort of predicted where we are today in many ways about, you know, debates about what we can and can't joke about. And she is the host of very funny podcast, Kill Me Now, where she always asks her guests if they're on any kind of mental health medication. Judy has acted in so many TV shows. Most recently, she was on FX's Better Things, and she's in the new Showtime series, Flotus. So let's go to my conversation. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is (laughs) I have this new Bluetooth speaker That I play music out of And it is just talking to me And I don't like it at all And if I, Okay, anyway But I'm not going to edit that out because I think it's funny So without further ado My conversation with Judy And you know, you wish you'd been there When we were just setting up And she's like yelling fuck While she's setting up her mic It was delightful, but you don't get to hear it But you get to hear about it But now you get to hear me and Judy Judy and me You get what I'm saying Don't criticize my grammar. You just said you know where a lot of your anxiety comes from. Spill it.
2: Well, first of all, I think it's genetic. Um, I'm predisposed. I think a lot of Jews are predisposed to anxiety because of being kicked out of every country. So, you know, this idea of the Jewish, the anxious Jewish mother, you know, is all based on trauma of, mm-hmm. you know, knock knock, get out, right? We hate you, get out, or you're dead. Um, so I know that a lot of my, I had, I had a very anxious mother and a very, OCD father, mm. and an anxious father. My, so I believe that my anxiety, first of all, my father lived through the depression he was born in 1916 and remembers people well remembered he's dead uh people like committing suicide right fuck I turned this off you fuck okay sorry (laughs) Ah!
3: oh it wouldn't be an interview with you without that I'm keeping that
2: yeah sorry uh so he he remembered that anxiety from you know the de- like literally the depression. Yeah. Um. He was I guess, you know, thirteen years old. So very impressionable age. Now my mother. Uh, grew up on the Upper West Side, and she um. Had a brother and a sister. She was the eldest, and then her brother was two years younger, and then her sister's seven years younger, and. One day in June, uh, I think it was the last day of school, actually. She was walking home from she went to um, Julia Richmond High School on the east side. And Betty Persky was in her class, Lauren McCall. That's Lauren McCall's uh, real name? Yes. Oh, my God. I never knew that. Yes. And cousin of Shimon, Shimon Perez, who was the prime minister of Israel. Okay. Fascinating. Okay, go ahead. See, you get a lot of Jewish information. This is great. So she's walking home and uh, she bumps into one of her cousins. A lot of us grew up, uh, my family, very New York, Upper West Side. And so she bumps into one of her cousins and uh, they walk home together. And as she gets at, off the bus or the subway, whatever, she sees her uncle standing on the corner and he tells the cousin to go home and brings my mother upstairs to tell her that her brother she walks into this house yeah. and her younger brother and everyone is just sitting um and her younger brother who went to bronx science or uh brooklyn tech was playing ball outside on uh they lived on 94 west 94th on west 89th street 89th and the doorman came out and said told these kids you can't play ball here and uh my uncle my mother's brother had his jacket on the hood of a car
5: oh
3: my
2: god and the the doorman or the elevator operator grabbed his jacket and he and Stuart, the my uncle ran and he and the, the elevator operator ran back into the lobby and was like playing keep away with the jacket and Stuart reached for his jacket and um the doorman slash elevator operator i don't know what it was pushed him, and he fell back <gasps> and hit his head on the marble floor and died.
1: Oh,
3: my God.
2: And I have to tell you, I grew up in a house mm-hmm. where if I was five minutes late... Yeah. Um, I remember my father even taking the train mm-hmm. to to go to work and come home. Um, My mother was a wreck. Oh my Every God. time I left, I had to leave the name, number, you know, when I was coming home, you know... So what happened was this huge tragedy happened.
3: And how old was your mom when this happened? 17. 17, okay, yep.
2: It it upended all of her plans of going to college. She ended up just going to, you know, junior college. Her younger sister, who's still alive, my Aunt Joan, you know, told me that, you know, she felt so guilty because she had just had pneumonia and they had just come out with antibiotics and she... She lived, but she thought she was the one that was supposed to die. My mother and my uh, and her sister both made a pack. They would have three children each, yep, so in case- so there was always one left in case something i mean the, wow. and no one ever talked about it, so I didn't even know until I was eighteen, right and I was visiting my grandmother and I saw the obituary in one of her drawers yeah, um so. This trauma, and no one talked about things then. That's the whole thing. There was, there was no therapy. There was no. They they moved to a smaller apartment with one less bedroom, and then they moved out of the building to 101st Street. Um, I guess it was too painful to even be in. Oh, of course. So that trauma, uh, or those two traumas, I think. Yep. Um, really made or affected the way my parents parented. And, you, you know, and the fact that we didn't know that it was like, yeah. what's the big
3: fucking deal? Mm-hmm. I'm 10 minutes late, you know? Well, it's so interesting because now, okay, so there's generational trauma. Right. Then there's nature nurture. So, we, like, we know that anxiety comes down in our DNA, whether or not we had a generational trauma. Then there's third they're doing everything quote wrong. Right. So they don't, they never talk about the death. They don't don't process process. at all. So now they're passing down maladaptive behaviors. Um, so even before you find out there was a death, like you're just being created in this lab of anxiety of like, you know, everything is dangerous.
2: Right. And so I remember I grew up like, five or six houses down from my grammar school. Like, I literally walked three minutes to get to my yeah. grammar school. You could see the, the you know, the the state, the soccer field was, like, in my backyard. I mean, it was, anyway, the minute there was any weather, right? Yeah. They used to make announcements on the public address system. I swear to God, the first time, like, there's a snowstorm or there's going to be this or there's going to... Judith Gold, can you please come to the office? Your mother's here. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm already unpopular. And now there's an announcement that my mother was the first to pick us up to, you know, bring us home.
3: Well, you know, you are a comedian and we'll mention it a little, but I'm really I really hate like analyzing comedy and anxiety. It's just so boring and nobody gets it right. But one of my favorite routines that you do routines, one of my 80 is the one about your mother. I mean, it's a classic <laughs> Judith. Did you fall down? She's yelling right. into your answering machine. We just give us a sense of that because it's so funny.
2: Uh, well, and I have a, I have a bunch of them, but. Uh, so my, I had, this is the eighties. Yeah. Um, and I had gone pre cell phone. And I was at my agent's office and I called my mother on the phone because it was free. I used to talk to my mother every day. And I and it was free cuz we used to have to pay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um you know, she lived in New Jersey and I was in New York. Uh that was also a sore spot with her that she had to move to New Jersey cuz of my father's job and she hated it. But so I called her in New Jersey and we're talking and my elbow hit the you know, the thing on the phone so we got disconnected. And I didn't call her back. Um and I got home and I forgot to tell her I was at my agent's office and I got home and there was this message on my answering machine where she is literally screaming, where are you? I'm a wreck. I don't understand it. Then she's going to call the neighbor to find out what happened to me. And she's screaming. And then there's a pause and she says, so long. I mean, it's so, and I, and I heard this and I thought, and I had so much material about my anxious mother, and I think that's how I processed it. Probably now that I'm talking to you, yeah, the the anxiety and um, and and her over the topness because it was it wasn't like I had to exaggerate it. I was just telling these stories, and and I thought I got to play this on. No one is going to believe this, yeah. and it became like this signature bit of mine, playing this answering machine message of my mother, and I have a bunch of them. I uh, you know through. <laughs> life um of messages she left me that are so like there's one okay there's one where there was this dart man some people remember this bit there was a guy in the subways I I think it was in the 80s or 90s and he was throwing darts at women's asses (laughs) and and there was like this big scare because it was the AIDS you know crisis so everyone was like oh no what if the darts are infected whatever So it was on the front cover of the paper, the dart man. And I got home that afternoon and there was a message from my mother on the answering machine. And it said, Judith, wear thick clothes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is written for me. See, I think anxiety is funny because it's it's an exact like. We all have, you know, people say to comedians, oh, you say what I just Thanks. think, right? Yeah. So we all have exaggerated thoughts and we worry and that's part of our evolution. We have to be always scanning and keeping ourselves safe. And some of the things we have to think and do in order to do that, we're wrong about. And right. those errors are funny. Hence, I think, like talking about someone's anxious thoughts are very funny. It's just, you, it's like, if she wasn't doing something that maybe you've even thought, It it may not even be fun. I don't know. Well, it's it's, it's it's also that, you know, the thing about it is so over the
2: top, but it's based in love and vulnerability. Right.
3: It wouldn't be funny if she was mean-spirited, wanted you to have a terrible life. It's like, here's this woman's idea of loving someone to her best ability and keeping you safe in the world. And it is just potentially could actually do the exact opposite it could make you so crazy that you fall down right and so
2: you're like oh my god you're out of your mind but you know there i still have one on the machine about not buying romaine lettuce (laughs) at a certain uh if you go to this gross do not buy you know and it was her way of you know sort of staying connected and and also yeah, protection and and love. I mean, she never said, I love you. My parents never said, I love you, or hugged me. Mm. Um. But I knew they loved me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I knew, and, you know, the thing that got the most, um, I guess, positive reinforcement was a clever quip or a sarcastic, like a funny line or something like that. Okay, you know? yeah. They definitely appreciated humor and sarcasm. uh, But yeah, I mean, they didn't show love in those traditional ways. uh, But I knew I was loved.
3: Now, you're a mother. And how have you have you broken the cycle?
2: Oh, absolutely. Because I've been in therapy for so long, but. Uh well first of all I recognize it. Yeah. Like I can identify it. I've been through cognitive behavioral therapy and I've been through regular therapy. Uh and so I at this point now first of all if you look you know like I do the picking of the cuticle thing which is one of the most common forms of anxiety till my fingers bleed oh, okay. and I stopped doing that. I mean, I, 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 I've been doing that since as far back as I can remember. Yeah. And I over exercised for many years because of the endorphins. Um, but it, as a parent, I, I do remember the, uh, worst case scenarios. Like I remember one time I had one of the teachers or helpers at daycare pick up henry and we had the and he took him home and we had the time wrong like Mm. i thought they were coming home at five or he thought it was seven and i was fucking freaking the i started walking down the street like (laughs) i had these scenarios that he was abducted i'm like I'm calling the school, you know, it was crazy, you know, but it's like, I have to say that's not, you know, when they started driving, I'm like, oh, I always have this, this worst case scenario thing. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to know that, like identify that. Is that real or is that anxiety talking? And so that's what's so great about cognitive behavioral therapy is that you can label the feeling you know, first you get the feeling of anxiety. Yeah. And then you, if you just stop and say, what am I anxious about? But, uh, you know, I think the soothing comes from, first of all, I, music, I play piano. Mm. Um, it's the, uh, music soothes me in a way, that nothing else. I can, as someone with A D D D D H D D D D D D D that yeah. was never diagnosed, it was diagnosed as an adult, the one thing I can focus on is music. I can literally, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's annoying because if I know I, I play a lot of classical music and if I know the piece, I can't focus on my writing because I'm like, Oh, I love this clarinet solo and the the blah, 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 you know? Yeah. So I have to sort of, you know, play stuff that I, I'm not that familiar with, but um, so music exercise, um, meditation
6: mm-hmm.
2: and therapy and just being aware. And I realized, you know, in, in high school, and college, when I was just smoking pot all the time, it was just self-medicating. Of course, yeah. You know, um, and- but it's an awareness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah,
3: because, you know, some a mother who is listening and might not have anxiety might be like, well, that's perfectly normal. I don't want my kids to drive and, you know, hit a right. tree. But there's something about, okay, look, Bad things are going to happen to everyone in this life. If I can predict it, then I don't have to feel the feeling. Right, There's right. no worse feeling than the surprise of bad news. It's like it's so overwhelming in the body. So it's like, let me predict it. I won't have any surprise feelings. I won't be overwhelmed. Right.
2: The poo, poo, poo thing. But here's the thing. Jen. What's poo, well, poo, poo, poo? The poo, poo, poo. Like, um, well, poo, poo, poo is a very Jewish like, you don't want to jinx it. There's this right. sort of mysticism. Like, you know, you'll say, oh, and then I'll, yeah, well, then I'll probably, you know, you know, fall off the whatever the roof. And, you know, and then it's like, pooh, 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 don't say that. Don't put it out into the universe, got you it. know? Yeah. So there's that. But then there's that other part of it that's, if you don't say it, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Right. You've got to let
3: the universe know I'm on to you. I know. You.
2: But I always, you know, like my my partner, Elisa, is very anxious, very anxious. And it's always about plan, 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 plan. And when you're a mom, I think this is universal for mothers, you realize plans are just hopes and dreams because mm. you don't know what the fuck, I can't tell you how many times I had my full week planned out and then I get, "Uh, hi, Judy. It's Nancy the nurse, not an emergency, but this one fell off the thing or this one has a 105 fever and th- and you just have to stop. And I think Yeah. I think that's what the pandemic did. It made people stop and realize what the fuck am I doing all the time, you right. know? Because if you don't have control, you have to you have to realize you know, you can plan it out as best you can, but it doesn't mean it's going to fucking happen.
3: We'll be right back.
6: I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last twenty five years I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
3: So taking it back to when you were younger, because I was, you know, it's interesting. I was bullied too, and... I just I don't know. I I didn't realize how much it affected me truly until I was an adult in my 40s and I saw it coming out in ways where like I feel I'm really obsessed with justice, you know. Oh, same. Same. <laughs> and and it could be justice from like one mean person on the internet to, you know, Vladimir Putin. Right. Right. You know, and uh and everything is of equal importance in, right, in right. my body, same. right? So so take me through um Let's relive your bullying. It's fun to do in the morning. But you, from what I know of my research, that you were, what, six feet tall in the eighth grade and that you felt invisible except for that part.
2: You can call people I went to high school with. It was relentless. It was, first of all, I couldn't wear clothes. You know, my mother made a lot of my clothes and shoes. So there was one store in New York that had, um shoes for people, for women, size 10 and above. And I was a 12 when I was 12. So Mm. we used to come to the city. I was the fourth generation of my family to go to the shoe store. And as you can imagine, the shoes were not attractive. And I'm like, you know, so first of all, I, I can't find clothes and I'm gigantic. Um, and you know, it's like, all you want to do is sort of blend in. Mm-hmm. But I was taller than my teachers. I was taller than the parents. Uh, I was taller than the rabbi when I got bat mitzvah. I mean, it's Aww. so I went through and it's so funny because my kids, uh, you know, I have a son who's six, seven. And his experience oh my is God. the complete opposite of mine. Athletic, popular, handsome, funny, like. Yeah, and I used to constantly say to my kids, "If anyone's getting teased, you go, you rescue them, you stand up for them." And they're like, "Mommy, no one does that in New York City." And I'm like, eh, "Whatever." So, um, so I have to say that my entire childhood and all through high school, mm-hmm. every day, Ugh. I was called Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Orca. Um, it was constant. Even when I was walking home from school, it was, it just never stopped. And uh, I I think that I had some sense of that, of, you know, this, I'm going to be a star and you're all going to, you know, like I had some of that, but I, but it was constant. It was constant. And later in life, and my mother told me to ignore them, never pay any attention to them as if they don't exist. Mm. And later in life, my therapist said, nah, you should have, you know, used your wicked sense of humor. Um That's
3: such a burden, but, though. Like, I, I was feeling like, know. what if you don't have a wicked sense of humor? And you, Right. So, but yeah. I have to say that
2: when I moved to New York, uh, when I was 21, right after college, I wouldn't walk by a schoolyard until I was in my 30s wow. because I thought I would cross the street. I I went, you know, I would hear people laughing behind me. I was like, no, please, no, please, no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was so PTSD'd. And sometimes I was right, actually. They were like, ooh, you know. But <laughs> um, until my kids went to school, I was very uncomfortable around... You know school age children and you know adolescents and high school kids <laughs> um and you know this i i hope you um I hope you relate to this. I recently th- realized that humiliation that sense of oh God, this is so humiliating um you know when I feel that mm. when I'm at an event on the red carpet and and they're like, "You are oh yeah." It's so humiliating, and it's the same feeling of like it's it's invalidating it's it it's so I, I don't know how you know that I feel you're that just, when I go
3: to events and I feel so good about myself before I leave the house, and then I get there, and I'm like, oh, this isn't the right clothes, this is like right right it's not fancy enough or it's not, it's just like oh, I don't, this but isn't but it's also fun.
2: yeah, it's also being a comedian, it's like you can do you know, uh, the Tonight Show mm-hmm. or the Late Show and have a great set. And then the next week you're standing in front of 12 people in a basement, you know. <laughs> right. So it's very humbling. But I remember when I, I really wanted to be drum major. And uh, in order to be drum major, and I was perfect because I was musician, nerd, band nerd, and uh, and I was tall. So, you know... And I remember we had these auditions for drum major, and you had the principal was there, and I think the superintendent and the head of the music, whatever. And you had to conduct the Star Spangled Banner. And when you conduct, you do this upbeat. That means instruments to the mouth. Uh And then as you're going down, there's this period of going to the downbeat. And once you hit the bottom is when the music begins. So it's like up. Oh, yeah. And then da, 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 whatever. And I did the up. And as I was coming down, someone yelled, Sasquatch.
3: Oh, my God.
2: And I had to continue to conduct that piece uh, in front of the heads of the school after, you know. Yeah. And it was just, and it's just, you remember these horrible, I'm sure that person doesn't remember. Well, okay, so this is
3: what I want to talk about. I have three points to make about bullying. But I want to get into how it felt in your body, and I want to talk about the cruelty of it. This is what I don't understand: the people who've been bullied grow up into being grown adults who can't walk by a playground or still feel this way about whatever. And it, ca- I mean, it causes some kind of mental illness in the bullied person. Why isn't the bullier like they seem to get off scot free? I remember this boy. Oh, I know. Right, this boy who bullied me—they're on Facebook. They have families, and it's like, do you know that you are sociopathically violent to a child, and that just goes away, and that's just right. okay? Like, I don't—I literally want a doctor to explain this to me. Like, what happens in their brain that that just magically disappears? Right, right. Uh, because to me, that's that's a social I would be very worried if my kid was beating up girls. That's what used to happen to me. Boys would beat me up. Like, right.
2: That's insane. But I I, I know that they they don't remember, that they they don't have any idea the effect this had. I mean, it's definitely, I have to tell you, if someone says Bigfoot, even in a conversation, I I still, it's like, oh, ping, you know, I get pinged. Sasquatch, Bigfoot, like it's still, I mean, to hear it every fucking day of your life for years as you're walking down the hall. And we didn't have headphones where we could, I had to purposely act like, I, oh, right, I forgot something in the other hallway. I'm going to walk the opposite direction. But yes, it's so interesting that, you know, I remember before my mother died uh, and she really was in this She loved, like, you're going to show them, (laughs) you know, and, uh, oh, I have the best story. I have the best story for you. So, uh, but I remember the, like the day my mother, the day before my mother died, two days before I was visiting her and, uh. I said, oh, guess who tried to friend me on Facebook? And it made her so happy. And it's like, do you realize how fucking nasty and horrible? Oh, it was like one me- of the bullies?
1: Oh, that's so great. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but here's the best part. This I told this at her funeral. You know, uh, when I did 25 Questions for a Jewish Mother, uh, I had a rave review in the New York Times, and it ran for years off Broadway, and then it toured, and it was, um, it was a great show. Great show. And... Uh, I had this rave review in the New York Times, and in this, my home paper in New Jersey, the Star Ledger, which is now co- called something else, uh, NewJersey.com or something. Anyway, that reviewer gave me a terrible review, uh, and not and not n- not worthy of a terror. I mean, it really was a. Gr- it's a great show. Yeah. Um, And he gave me a bad review. And at the bottom, pre, of course, pre-cell phone, pre-computer, pre-email, he had, for any comments or questions, you can write to me at or call me at. So I'm at a photo shoot and the publicist for the show runs up to me and is like, Judy, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. I'm like, what's going on? She said, your mother apparently left a message for the uh, reviewer. Uh, At the Star Ledger, um, you know, your mother, if you get a a not a great review, your mother can't call them. And and uh, I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Again, again, never says I love you, but calls, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, I called my mother and I said, Ma, you can't if I get a bad review, you can't call the reviewer. And she said, well, Judith, actually. He wrote his review and then put his phone number about any comments or questions. So I heard what he had to say, and now he can hear what I have to say. Yes. And um and I said he's not gonna he was afraid to call her back. He was afraid of her. <laughs> and the next one-person show I did, he actually gave me a good review. Um, but it was the it is the ultimate Jewish mother. And she was right. How do you argue with that? She's not wrong. Don't leave your phone. She said, don't leave your phone number if you don't want to hear my comment. I had to listen to what your thoughts were. You can listen to mine.
3: We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors.
5: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You know, I was thinking about like going back to the justice thing and it sounds like your mom had a sense of justice. When people oh, are always
2: <laughs> writing <did> letters, you- <laughs> let I am writing to the president of- and my kids make fun of me all the time. I'm like you're not eating a Chick-fil-A. You're not doing this. You're not t- and and I, that is definitely passed down from, yes, absolutely. Always writing a letter to the top person. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, it's funny because like the thing that bothered me about being bullied and maybe, you know, someone could say you're just intellectualizing it so you don't feel their feelings. Sure. But it was less, oh my God, you're hurting me. Cause I actually had this really good sense of self and they bullied me because I was acting funny and silly. I didn't act funny as a defense. Um, I thought I would, I was, I thought I was nailing it in life. I thought it was so creative and coming to school. Like I came to school dressed as Mozart once, no change of clothes. <laughs> and I was just like, this is a great idea. And you know, my parents encouraged it. Yeah. My mom encouraged we it. Oh, we would have been totally. friends. We would have totally been friends. Yeah. And so when kids are making fun of it, there was part of me that felt sad, but more like, huh. Okay. Why wow, did not see this coming? And then th- that would happen over and over, but B, right, right. how can people be so creative? cruel. If I saw someone dressed as Mozart and I didn't like that, I'd probably be like weird, but I'd move on. And I didn't understand. It, it showed me that there are just cruel people in the world, and I I couldn't handle knowing that.
2: But it's also like, they would never think of doing that. Yeah. They probably didn't even know who Mozart was. Right. And they're like, you know, you should be... And not being like everyone else is... The greatest gift in the world. You know, I remember years ago, they asked me to talk to tall teens. Oh, how cute. Yeah. And they were all these kids in high school who were really tall and not athletic. And they asked if the parent, they didn't want their mothers there, their parents there, the kids. That's and because only someone who, and I was like, look, these people, high school is their peak, Yeah, you know, this is it. They have four years. You're going to get it. I promise you, you're going to get out like the night before I was going away to college. I was so anxious that I was going to be living in a dorm that I couldn't even cause at least I had my room and my house and where I could go, you know, not get teased. um, I thought, oh God, now I'm going to live on the floor. And it's like, I'm not even going to be able to walk out of my room. It's just going to be constant. And my guidance counselor had to come over the night before I was leaving to tell me it was, you know, I was so anxious. I was like, oh God, now you live at school. So there's no respite. Yeah. And uh, it that was it. And I was always really funny, but, and only the people that I was friends with knew I was funny, but Thank God he came over, and the next day, my whole life was changed because no one gave a shit, and right. they thought I was pretty and tall and skinny and, you know. Wow.
3: It is it is literally a moment like that that can change. And I know that you right. – um, so you went to therapy, right? Did you go for the first time at 18, and you, you realized 18. you were gay and you confessed? yes.
2: I told my therapist, I said,
3: yeah, do you, did you know the story? I knew that you, you told your therapist and then the therapist was like, okay, also I'm leaving being a therapist or moving or something.
2: Yes. Yeah, I said to her, I was like, all right, I got to tell her because I'm just sitting here like going around. And I said, I think I might be, you know, at, uh, I have to tell you, I remember I've prefaced it with, okay. Cause I had built up the yeah. um, confidence. I'm going to tell her today. So I went in, I was like, okay, I just want to say, I have to tell you something. She goes, well, I have to tell you something too. You go first. And I tell her, I, th- I think I'm gay. I mean, I knew I was gay when yeah. I was like three, whatever. And, and that's another anxiety thing. Like, can you imagine, uh, h- hiding that whole thing? And so I said, I think I'm gay. And she said, and I said, what do you have to tell me? She said, I'm moving to Florida and today's our last session. I was like, oh, wow. Typical Judy Gold. Typical (laughs) JJ.
3: Well, I know that it said here, um, it said here, Liz, if I didn't take my own notes. Yeah. That uh, you had a breakup and you were so sad about your breakup. But you can tell anyone because you were still kind of right? I remember it, I right? had,
2: uh, yes, I d- had a girlfriend ish, you know, in high school uh, and college, you know, beginning of college, and it broke up, and I never told. No one knew. Oh. It was like um, you're in this. I mean, it was high school, whatever, whatever it was, you know. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm you know we're performers, we're artists. Everything is heightened. Every feeling is heightened to the nth degree, and we broke up, but no one knew I was gay or that we had been fooling around. You know. Hey. Oh God, I was so skinny, um, and I basically got like a bleeding peptic ulcer. You know, um, you know, holding every feeling
3: in. Did you feel it in your body in the sense that you were actually feeling anxiety about being in the closet or what did it feel like? It's like, you're so uncomfortable
2: because you're playing a character. you like, you're, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's like, here I am at this frat or this party or, you know, whatever. And everyone I know is straight. It turns out between my junior and senior year in college, it was my father called it the summer of 42. Um, I lived on campus and all of my friends sort of came out of the closet, which was re- I was like, You're gay too? Oh my God. I, uh, you know, but oh, what a relief. I'm living in a dorm. First of all, you live in a straight world. Mm-hmm. And even like that's why the don't say gay thing. It's oh like, God. no one said gay. When I was, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't had a fucking say, ulcer, right? But it was also like, and we're all gay, so we that doesn't work, right, fuckhead? Yeah. Um, but it's being in the closet is the most painful. Um, because everyone assumes you're someone you're not, mm-hmm. and you have to sort of play along, and. Oh my God, it's so funny because I remember this guy, Scott, who I really liked him, and I used to go visit him in his frat, um, and he had pot all the time. So, um, and he was tall, and you know, it was always like, "Oh, look at that tall one." You know, my mother was like, "He's right. tall," and I'm like, "Oh God, tall men hate tall women. That's they right. want short women. Short guys love tall women. Yeah, short guys who are confident and you know love yep. tall women." So. Anyway, I remember this guy, Scott, and I uh, was friends with him, and I know he wanted to date me. And, I, you know, it's just, it was unnatural. I, and I had a boyfriend mm-hmm. in college, too, who... Um, and you weren't bisexual. Like, you,
3: you were just trying to I I, I Here's the thing.
2: This is what's so interesting. Oh, you're going to love this. Is that my generation of gay, it was such a hor- horrible, hard life that you had to try to be, can I at least try and, and be straight? Oh, God, because yeah. life will be so much easier. I think a lot of people in my generation did that. Yeah. And it was so unnatural for me. It was literally unnatural. I had this boyfriend and he was lived in my dorm. And I was like, no, I'm not, I mean, lived downstairs. Yeah. And I wouldn't sleep in his room. I was like, I can't. And I felt even even having sex was like, I felt like I was being assaulted because I was like this. Uh, I hate this. I hate it so
3: much. Yeah.
2: Um, talk about anxiety. And uh, and so I don't know if you know this. There's this term in the gay community called Gold Star. I do. Yes. OK. Do you know that what the platinum means?
3: No, I know. Gold Star means you are a lesbian who's never had uh, a, or a gay man or a gay man who has who's never, never had, had, straight had
2: sex with the opposite Sex. What's platinum? There there is a term platinum that is so offensive to women. I can't even believe (laughs) platinum is a gay man who is gold star, but is the product of a C-section. So had never even gone through a (laughs) vagina.
3: (laughs) He's never gone
2: in or come out. Come out of a vagina. Has never had any contact with (laughs) a vagina. That's called platinum. Ridiculous and funny.
3: Yeah, you know, and also it's like, first of all, what else do teenagers talk about? Except I have a crush on this person. I right, broke up. Right. So you missed an entire developmental stage of your fucking life by having to keep your everything and so- feelings yes, quiet. Yes, Yeah, I mean, that'll yes. ruin a brain chemistry.
2: Oh, please. It was awful. And, and yeah. And then I remember, you know, coming out and admitting and finally talking about it. I'm telling you, it was like an out of body experience. Mm. I was like, I felt like I was looking at myself from above, Mm -hmm. finally, you know, letting go of this. And, you know, you just didn't know, you know, you would play this character for so long. I remember when I came out to my sister in therapy and then she freaked out Mm because she had no idea. First of all, I'm dressing as a boy, Um, my entire, like, up until, like, six or seven years old. Like, uh, everyone, you know, yeah. no one was surprised. I made everyone call me Robert or Ringo when I was a kid. <laughs> my cousin still calls me Robert. Um, And, you know, my sister said to me, I need to process this. Because you're not the person I thought you were, and I need to grieve that person. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? Right, Um, yeah. You know, I have so many friends. I play tennis, and I'm in Provincetown, and I play doubles. And there's so many of these women who are 80 in their late 70s who were married. They have kids. They have grandkids. And they're finally living their authentic life. Wow. And so happy and the fact that they had... I mean, I'm glad they have kids and grandkids, but the fact that they put their life aside because mm-hmm. they would have had nothing. They, you know, Old Maid. Yeah. Um, spinster. Uh, it, it's just... You know, you're playing this character and then all of a sudden you don't have to hide anymore. It's the greatest feeling in the entire... But I'm telling you the constant, uh, you know, you get, you're with people and you're hearing them say shit about gay people or right. talk about, Oh my God, don't you want to have, and you're like, ugh. it's just like, you know, that feeling in the top of your stomach of, Oh God, here we go. Gotta play this fucking game. And it's not comfortable. And that's why, you know, you have to be out and proud.
3: Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
2: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs)
6: It's the good
7: people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish.
4: Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Okay, so here you are, bullied, in the closet. Now you're getting older, you're growing up, you're coming into your own. When did you start going to therapy and who put a name to the word anxiety to you for the first time? Was it a therapist? Oh, that's
2: interesting. I mean, I hate, um, I hate
3: first time, biggest moment questions. Cause who the fuck knows? But was there like a period in your life?
2: Yeah. So I went to this, the first therapist who moved to Florida. And then, um, she said to me at 18, I think you should go to an analyst, a psychoanalyst, mm. Because I think you're more complicated than just like a social worker. I went to the Jewish family services because I said to my mother, I want to go to therapy.
5: Yeah.
2: And she's like, I will go to the Jewish family services. And uh, I went to this analyst and I remember. Oh, he was so bad because they don't say anything, you know, and I'm 18, 19. And I'm going to this analyst. And I cut my hair short. And I remember going in and he's like, why did you cut your hair short? And I'm like, I'm not fucking telling you anything." like I hated him. And it was in his house and I was, it was this cow. I know I wasn't ready for that. And then I fell in love with another straight, you know, it's just awful because no one's out and you fall in love with these gay, these, these straight women. And I went to, peer counseling and counseling at college. And I just kept seeking out counseling. But I think, you know, once I went to, I moved to New York, I, I had all this stuff done and I was always diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, mm. you know, on my on my health insurance and stuff. And uh, I had a nervous breakdown slash clinical depression in 2010, and I had never—I mm. had diurnal depression, so during the day I could not function at all. At night, when the sun went down, um, I would—it would lift, and I could probably have like a protein shake again. So thin, <laughs> but I realized through that emotional breakdown that I always have a hard time during the day.
5: Mm.
2: You know. That the anxiety is worse during the day, and when the sun goes down, I feel at peace. And if I go back, I remember now that I'm so aware of it, yeah. the alarm going off in the morning, and oh no. You know, to wake up as yes. a kid and be like, oh, fuck, I got to go get teased all day fucking long, you know?
3: Right. Um, oh, I didn't even know about this kind of depression di- diurnal. Yeah, That's diurnal. so So, so yeah.
2: William Stryon had um, nocturnal depression, and I had it during the day. And I still have trouble sleeping a little, because yeah. if I let myself think, the breathing exercises are great.
3: You oh, yeah, know, tell us what you do. What's your breathing exercise for anxiety? So
2: you know, mindful breathing, focusing on that breath and, and being, I mean, it takes so much practice Mm -hmm. and having those thoughts come into your head, identifying them and saying, bye-bye now, Mm -hmm. bye-bye now. But it's like, you have to learn to identify it. What's real, what's not real. So I'll start with the breath. And if I have a bad meditation day, I just give myself a break, but it's like, go back to the breath, go back to the breath. I have lists. I write lists all the time. Yeah. Because that helps with my anxiety. Like, I all the stuff I'm like, oh God, you have to do this, you have to do that. So I write it down and then I can let it go. Yeah. So I do, I have all these tricks that I do. Work, exercise, very important. Um. Also that feeling, that's why I loved quarantine. You know, I because too. I loved it so much. I was like, no pressure. No, no one's doing anything Mm -mm. that, that feeling of having no control, that feeling when the nurse called and I was like, sorry, got to
3: take care of my kid. Like I loved that. I think that people don't understand that. Like it is exercise. It is mindfulness exercises. They want like one answer and they want some kind of, Oh no, that, you know, I feel like when people write to me and, they go, well, no, no, that stuff doesn't work for me because I have it really bad. And I'm like, no, it does work. It may not work it certain It does days. work. You have to practice. Yeah. yeah.
2: And there are some days where I'm like, mm, nothing's going to, I'm in a bad place. Yep. And I will text Gary Coleman or I'll text another person who I know deals with this stuff and just say, I'm having a, sh- and I know now because I'm 59 years old, mm-hmm. it's going to pass. But when I was in that clinical depression where I could not speak, Mm. if someone said, go get a quart of milk, this is someone, since I'm in my early 20s, traveling all over the fucking country by myself, you know, doing, you know, if someone said, go get a quart of milk at the store, I would have been like, (laughs) you know, it was horrible. And I couldn't speak. And I realized, oh, this is why people commit or take their own lives. You're not supposed to commit suicide. That's right. Yeah. But. Um, this is why, you know, people harm themselves, but I never wanted to, I never did it. I had kids, but I knew that feeling and it changed me as a person. Um, because my, also, if, if you went to the doctor and you took my blood, my blood work was completely different than when I wasn't depressed. Oh, really? Well, how does it affect, yes. is, does it
3: change like immune, se- white blood cells yes, or red blood
2: depletion cells? Yes, of Certain vitamins. It was very chemical, and so you have to realize it is an illness. And I hate the fucking stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, like on those days when it's, I'm like, oh boy, I'll call Elisa and I'll say, and "That's day. your wife, I'm right? A, yeah. yeah, I'll have a very b- I'm bad," and she will be like, "Okay, you know, I you got to reach out. You got to yep. reach out because there's other people." who are in the same situation who have, you know, and the, I think the worst part of being a uh, an artist and having depression is that we're so in tune with our feelings or we have such strong feelings that if we really think hard about it, we could go back to that feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that fear of it happening again, if, if I actually sat here and thought about it, I can really sort of gather all that horrible shit Mm -hmm. and start feeling like that again. And I don't want to, but yeah, I I live in fear that it'll happen again. Although I've taken some medical tests and they say it's, you know, they took my DNA and RNA and PNA, whatever.
3: But, you know, that, to your point, that is perfect proof that getting help, getting better, if it's medication you need, therapy, uh, you will not lose your unique thing that makes you an artist. If you think you need your right. depression or anxiety to right. be an artist. No, you can call it up anytime that you might need it, for an acting scene or, you know. Yeah,
2: and it's also, I remember when they first wanted me to go on antidepressant, I was like, no, I'm not going to be funny, but I couldn't take it anymore. Like, the amount of time I spent in my apartment just being anxious, just sitting there, not being able to get anything done, just uh, uh, with yes. my head, with my thoughts. You know, I wasted. I, I would have. I would have years. I would definitely have at least a year of doing nothing. Of the time that I spent picking my cuticles, mm-hmm. worrying, 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 um, and now. Because of therapy, because of meditation. I mean, everyone has their thing that that can work if you just allow it to work. And you practice, practice.
3: And if days it doesn't work, it does not mean something. You some gotta big give yourself thing.
2: a fucking break. Yeah, give
3: yourself a break and don't assume it means anything. And reach out. And reach out. Yeah. I hope you had fun hanging out with me. And Judy, Judy and me, oh my God, here I am again with the, let's just go over some of the takeaways from my conversation with Judy Gold. And don't forget, if you want to send an email to the show, please do so. Weekly at gmail.com. I don't think I will be doing another fully only listener email episode, but, um, sort of scattered throughout episodes coming up. I will read a few emails that I think are pertinent. So please do that. Please give the show five stars. You can do that on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you don't want to write a review, that's okay, but five stars really helps, pushes the algorithm up, makes more people find the podcast. More people that find the podcast, well, maybe I could get to do more episodes after season one. And the more people are getting help for their anxiety, And that's always a good thing. That makes your life and my life better. All right, my takeaways from my chat with Judy Gold. Most importantly, Lauren Bacall's real name is Betty Persky or Perky. I think it was Persky. Judy believes that one of her mother's symptoms of anxiety, like the constant worrying about Judy's whereabouts, was, although it was anxiety and very intrusive, it was based in love and vulnerability. Judy believes that her anxiety, Came from a combination of genetically being Jewish, the generational trauma, as well as her father having an undiagnosed OCD and her mother having suffered a trauma of losing her brother at an early age and never discussing it. Cognitive behavior therapy is what ultimately helped Judy the most with her anxiety disorders. For her, it's the act of labeling the feeling and being able to stop in the moment and ask yourself, what am I actually anxious about? For Judy, music is a non-clinical way of self-soothing, and one thing that Judy finds she has an easy time concentrating on despite having ADHD. As a mom, Judy has learned that she has to accept that plans are just hopes and dreams because you never know what's going to happen. You have no control. You can plan, but that doesn't mean it's going to actually happen. Judy was bullied in school for being tall, and she does still feel a PTSD trauma response in her body when she hears words like bigfoot or Sasquatch or even walks by, you know, a playground with middle school or teenagers. Judy's advice to anyone in high school being bullied is to keep in mind that the bullies are at their peak right now in high school. When they leave high school without their little group of people validating them, their lives may fall apart, whereas Judy's began. Judy got a peptic ulcer from being in the closet and holding in her feelings when she broke up with her first girlfriend. And so it stresses the importance of having someone to talk to if you have anxiety, if you feel like you are hiding something from others, whether it's that you are in the closet or that you are just... Swallowing your feelings, afraid to feel them because they scare you or just afraid that they're not normal. Another thing that contributed to Judy's anxiety was the uncomfortability of her whole life being in the closet. It was less a fear of people finding out, but more how it felt to play along with who everyone assumed she was, just not getting to live her authentic life. Judy had a nervous breakdown with clinical depression in 2010 and was diagnosed with diurnal depression. She could only function after sundown. She's doing much better now, but has worries. You know, what if it comes back? And for her, staying connected to friends and doing her daily cognitive behavioral therapy exercises keeps her on the up and up. Judy does breathing exercises for anxiety. She practices identifying the thoughts in her head and saying bye to them as she refocuses on the feeling of her breath. When Judy has a bad meditation day, she gives herself a break. Writing lists helps calm Judy down, and she gets the anxiety of what she has to do out of her brain and onto the paper. Exercise is really important to Judy for staving off anxiety. Exercise does create endorphins. Which, when used responsibly, I mean, there's exercise addiction, but that's not what we're talking about. But when used responsibly, can actually flush a lot of the anxiety out of our body. Judy keeps in mind when she's in her anxiety or her depression that it will pass. It always has. But in those moments, she reaches out to friends who understand her. It's important to reach out and stay connected. And I hope you will stay connected with this podcast, Anxiety Bites. What a segue that was. And don't forget, Anxiety Bites. But you're in control.
4: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought...
4: Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross.